A gigantic week of football for the city of Cincinnati this week. And the Bengals are coming off a gigantic win the previous week, all mixed in with the frenzy that is the holidays. 2021 is coming to a merciful close in a lot of different ways, but we are enjoying at least the football aspects of it. I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. And I'm joined by the talent, the man who is going to, this guy's going to be raging tomorrow with the Bearcat game going on. John Sheeran, John, what's, what's going on, man? How was your Christmas? We didn't even talk about that before we took the air. How was your Christmas, man? Yeah, it was it was good. We, we we made some things work. I hope you the the Casenzas had a good Christmas as well. We did. just hanging in, just hanging in here, man. Um, just they, they say the week after Christmas and before New Year's is just like limbo. You don't really know what day it is, but you know, <laughs> I, I've been I've been counting down these days honestly, and I'm just waiting until tomorrow. And like you kind of led with it, it's arguably one of the biggest weekends in Cincinnati yeah. football history, just for both teams. So I'm balancing a lot of optimism and, to be honest with you, some nerves as well. So we're, we're, we're hanging in here. Well, uh, I just pinned up a Facebook comment from, uh, I think it was Keith Evans there, saying I, I'm watching from the Bahamas. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, and so I appreciate everybody tuning in live to this show, whether that's on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, on any variety of Twitter platforms that we are streaming live. We appreciate all of the, the live viewers, obviously an exciting week based on what the Bengals did against the Ravens. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some stats of the week, some other news, both pertaining to this game going into the chiefs and maybe a couple of other little tidbits of good news that came across the wire on Thursday. And just want to thank our regulars and our usual live listeners for hanging with us on the day change had a little bit of a uh, family situation that that came up and so I appreciate the flexibility and I appreciate John being flexible for that but if you're new here you can always get this show on our YouTube channel the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel there is a little icon right down below John and below the SB Nation logo there go click that as, and subscribe as well as the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is av- available, etc. And if you like what we're doing on this particular stream or any stream that we do, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. We would appreciate that. And of course, this show can be found on any number of audio platforms, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of them. We are there on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, joined by Ace and Zim and the Orange is the New Black. Uh, podcast as well as Matt Minnick and the coach speak and chalk talk podcast that he does. We uh, try and bring you all kinds of different content on those different shows. So subscribe to that. If you like the audio side better and leave us a review if you could. Well, John, this week is teeing up for a gigantic week, not only because of Bearcat football, go Bearcats, go UC, but also this game against the Chiefs is shaping up to be a gigantic one for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's gigantic for a little bit of a different reason. Some people may, you know, kind of thought that this, you know, the Bengals would maybe be 500-ish and this would be one they just had to, had to have because they would be struggling to get into the playoffs. But lo and behold, last week they faced a beat-up Baltimore team, one with a lot of injuries, one with a lot of COVID absences, but they took it to the Baltimore Ravens on their home turf to the tune of almost a three touchdown win, John, what did you, your, your kind of initial impressions as we get started breaking down the Ravens game here? I think Zach Taylor said right after the game, 
like the Bengals Twitter account always posts his post game speech at speeches after wins. One of the first things that he said, I'm paraphrasing here, is like, don't let anyone try to diminish what you did. Like you answered the bell. This is a common phrase of his. And he emphasized the importance of winning in December, the difficulty winning in December, winning in the division and stuff like that. The the whole storyline was just the Ravens were depleted. And it's true. Anyone with two eyes can see that they had barely anybody in the secondary left. They were on their third string quarterback. There was a lot going against them. But I think Taylor and everyone else who knows the Ravens, what they're going through, they're still talented in a lot of areas and they still fielded a lot of good players. And I think that in itself means something. And it's also the desperation factor, not only with the Bengals, but with the Ravens itself. Like now they're fighting for their playoff lives. They needed that game just as badly as the Bengals did, especially because the Bengals had the tiebreaker entering that game. The Ravens, they didn't play necessarily terrible. Josh Johnson had a pretty good game mm-hmm. for being called up, called upon Typical Bengals fashion, you know, allow a great game to a backward quarterback who's brand new to the system. But (laughs) looking past that, like their defense, I think they didn't have a chance that honestly, like they did not have a chance. And the Ravens offense kept them in the game for as long as they possibly could. And at the end of the day, that that talent gap, which is what everyone is trying to. I shouldn't say everyone, but some people are trying to discredit the Bengals validity of the win. The, the talent gap goes both ways. It's not just the fact that the Ravens had like three practice squad players starting in the secondary. The talent gap is also created by the talent of the Bengals receiving core specifically. Like that gap is that the way it is because Jamar Chase is already really good because T Higgins has elevated this game because Tyler Boyd is still a very solid player. Like it, it's not just guys barely getting it done against bad players. It's guys dominating against bad players because that's what good teams should do it's weird how the Bengals have to be not they don't have to be but they're presented as the these bad guys for just beating down on the on the lily ravens when other really good teams have done this in the past and they shouldn't apologize for this and that's unfortunately the main storyline from this game but at the end of the day the Bengals just played really good football against a really bad team and the results should have looked like that and if it didn't look like that if they barely squeaked by a really bad ravens team or really beat up Ravens team that would be the angle that would be the slam like oh you could barely beat this team that was beat up and had so many people on COVID they they weren't going to win that PR battle what they did win though was on the field with their third 41 point performance in a divisional game it was impressive and it should have been impressive because again the Ravens didn't really have a chance I, I like what you said about that's what they should have done. John and I do a little bit of prep before the show. I know it doesn't always seem like that, but we do a little bit of prep. We have some show notes, et cetera. And, uh, you know, not always do we say, hey, this is kind of the angle we're going to I'm going to take on this when we talk about this topic, et cetera. And we didn't do that this time necessarily. We just kind of went over some of the talking points for the show. And, you know, when you say that's what they were supposed to do, that's what I was thinking. Uh, I mean, that's, we can, we can criticize and we can say, you know, the, the Cincinnati Bengals faced a beat up team and that sort of thing. But I mean, they, they beat them by three possessions. So, I mean, that that's, that's the truth of the matter. Now there are some concerning points, like you said, about the Josh Johnson playing pretty well, the issue against tight ends. I know some people have just mixed opinions about that. Mark Andrews is extremely talented. He's a pro bowl player. He's one of the best tight ends in all of the league. I get that, but you knew that that was going to be the focal point if you're Luana Rumo, and still he he you know got you got you pretty good there as did Kittle a couple of weeks ago. Now you got Kelsey coming in town this week, so you know the Bengals are going to have to do what they can there. But that's 
all of that said, the thing that impressed me, it's not just, you know, beating him by almost three touchdowns and that sort of thing, John. It's think about all of the distractions that the Bengals and, and twists and turns in terms of game plans and all kinds of different things that they had to adjust to this past week. Now, I know that Josh Johnson it has a similar skill set to Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley, and that's why they brought him up, and that's why they felt he could run their system successfully. But you're talking about a guy you saw throw four passes against you back on Halloween, right? He hasn't really started much in the NFL in general, and this this was a guy you did not have on your radar at all to be starting this week. I mean, you, you just figured that it was probably going to be Huntley, maybe Lamar Jackson was an outside chance, but you figured it was going to be Huntley. And then all, all of a sudden, what was it the night before? It's like, oh, Jackson didn't travel with the team and Huntley's on COVID. So, and then you've got the, this call up here and everybody has to adjust. Now I know that seems pretty easy uh, just standing back here, but all of a sudden you, you go, okay, what's, you still have to prepare and you have to prepare on the fly there for, for that sort of thing that the, the, the last minute switch up there. So the other thing with it is, like you said, the talking points where in the Bengals, if they did not beat the Ravens handily this week, you know, they were going to be, you know, dubbed pretenders and or if they just somehow fell on their face and didn't win, uh, their their season could have, you know, started to swirl around the drain a little bit there. So I, it's not only just getting a win, it's getting a decisive win in the wake of this really tumultuous week for the Cincinnati Bengals and their game plan had to be adjusted on the fly. And I think that showed a little bit with the Josh Johnson success, but I, I, I don't know. I kind of was, I guess, excited on what I saw with that. Yeah. And I think it, <laughs> this game was a domination, of course, and a lot of positives are being taken away from it, but it, it also speaks to just how this season has gone for the Bengals where last week the, or the week prior, they struggled offensively against the Denver Broncos. And I believe it was like Warren Sharp who said that on average teams who face like it was either the Broncos or like a really good defense in general. After they play that game, they usually are due for an offensive explosion. And it made sense on paper. Like the Ravens didn't have the, the secondary to match up. And also the offense explodes and, and fulfills a lot of the, of the potential that people had for them. And then of course, a week after Zach Taylor said about his defense, like we made a statement to the NFL after shutting out a Teddy Bridgewater offense then they kind of let up a little bit and start to deteriorate against Josh Johnson and Johnson in general. It, it was the first, I think two drives where he was playing really well and that you can attribute that to like the scripted game plan and stuff like that. But he was still pretty accurate throughout the day. And there were some throws that were just impressive regardless of the Bengals coverage. I look back yeah. to that, that Mark Andrews touchdown, like late in the game, that was a beautiful throw against pretty tight coverage. I believe it was, it was against Jermaine Pratt. I want to say, but it was still a really impressive throw. And you can't really attribute that to the scheme or in a room or anything like that. Like Johnson. And at the end of the day, he's been around for a long time for a good reason. And I, it was like, I want to say the week after Mike white beat the jets, John Johnson was either starting or played in relief of Mike White against the Colts. And I think he had like 300 or something yards against a really good Colts defense. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's Josh Johnson. You didn't really expect to do much, but I mean, he still can make plays and he made plays in this one. And it almost speaks to now the Bengals defense coming off of that great win against Denver, where they really shut down a, a lot of good receivers in the running game. They're kind of deteriorating a little bit, not only just on the field, but in injuries too. You're starting to see the depth almost kind of break down. And like the vast majority 
of this team's injuries have come on the defensive side of the ball. And then, then they had some new developments this week too with that. So mm-hmm. th- that might be a little bit of a worry because now you're like, what is this offense? What is this? What are they capable of doing against other defenses and such? But now the defense that has been really your stable rock throughout the entire season it's going through a lot of injury issues. Luckily, I think they, they've gotten some good news this week, but I think it's something to keep an eye on, especially as they finish the season against two offenses, or at least one offense that's really good, and another offense that they historically can't really stop. I want to give credit to our buddy, the Orange Arrow, who did bring that Warren Sharp piece of information that you referenced to, to my attention. I did not reference it in a couple of different shows since, but uh, that that is a good stat. It was essentially a team right after they faced the Broncos defense. They they seem to explode the following week there. So that's kind of what, uh, what what it alluded to. I, I want to keep kind of talking about some of this a little bit because what transpired over the past, basically since the game was completed. Well, let me, let me backtrack. Before kickoff, there were some interesting comments by Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator from the Baltimore Ravens kind of basically I don't know if you want to say poking the bear or whatever you want to call it there, but he basically said, you know, we're not going to double team Jamar chase this time, despite what happened the first time around. And we're not ready to call Joe Burrow, a hall of famer, like a Tom Brady or, you know, something to that effect was, was part of his quote. And lo and behold, Joe Burrow has a career day, a franchise record setting day with 525 passing yards and four touchdowns, really kind of just winging it all over the yard, playing backyard football a little bit, John. I mean, and I think both, not so much Chase, but Burrow kind of alluded to slyly the fact that those comments stuck with them this week and they did not sit well with that group. You know, what's funny though, like, the persona or like the confidence of Burrow, it's been often compared to like Baker Mayfield. But I think the difference, one of the biggest differences is that Joe specifically doesn't bring any of this stuff on him. It's usually just, it just happens. And he, then he has to deal with it. And every single time he pretty much answers the bell and then he'll make a sly comment and he'll, he'll appear kind of cocky or brash, but like, he's not forcing any of this stuff it just kind of just happens and i don't know why it keeps happening i don't know why he keeps bringing in this kind of attention but it's always handled and managed the same way and he very rarely disappoints and when and when it doesn't go his way like he owns up to it he takes accountability and stuff like that and i think that resonates a lot in that locker room and it definitely resonates within the fan base as well i think with martindale he to his to his fairness, he did praise Burrow. I think after right before the week seven matchup, I think Ben Baby brought that to everyone's attention uh, on Thursday afternoon here this week. But yeah, he just kind of said too much, and that's what you said um, before uh, uh, last week when just talking about it. Like you don't really have to go that far when talking about Burrow and stuff like that. But he really does weaponize these things, and in in this game. Yeah, the cornerbacks weren't great, and there were a lot of examples where he was targeting T. Higgins and poor Daryl Worley out there, like number twenty nine for the Ravens. He just didn't know what he was doing at all, and some of those routes and stuff like that. But it was still Burrow, like being really, really good at what he does, and it had nothing really to do with the talent of Baltimore. There were still blitzes and pressures that Baltimore was trying to pressure Burrow with, and he just handled it with ease. And he played a really, really clean game and. Uh, if you go to the athletic NFL show like Robert Mays and Nate Tice, they break that down greatly. And I tried to visualize some of that breakdown on Twitter, but 
it was stuff that was impressive regardless of the competition and just the lack of competition or the lack of talent on the other side only exaggerated everything that was going on in the form of, of the stats and whatnot. And of course they were, of course they kept the offense on the field and wanted to throw down because not only of the record, but I mean, it was a mistake by wink. Let's just put it at that. Yeah. And then you've got a lot of, I mean, we don't need to go to the Ravens fan base necessarily, but you've got a lot of talking points after the fact of, you know what the Bengals were running it up on them and all kinds of different things. Well, there was a record to be had there. And I, I mean, I can remember back earlier this season when John, John Harbaugh was criticized and had an issue with Vic Fangio for going for an extension of a run rushing yard streak by the Baltimore Ravens. That was largely useless. So I kind of, I, I, I look at that and I go, well, you don't really have, if, if, if you're John Harbaugh, I mean, I don't know that he was truly upset. There was kind of a clip at the end when they kind of shook hands a little bit that looked like he was a little perturbed and, um, you know, whatever. But, I mean, it's just kind of like you don't really have much legs to stand on there if you're going to criticize when just earlier this season that kind of stuff was was coming up there. Um, Here's – we have a couple of super chats, and thank you very much for this. Rowdy Every Lap writes – I understand wanting to establish the run, but when the offense is being aggressive through Burrow, it puts the opposing team's defense on their heels. We'll talk a little bit more about this later when we talk about the Chiefs game here in terms of what the Bengals' offensive and defensive game plan should be or will be this week. But uh, I don't know what, what – just kind of on the surface of that comment there, John. What are your thoughts? It, it's been about – I think Zach Taylor naturally wants to be aggressive. He he says this constantly when he speaks to the media and he I think even referenced it when he was talking about Andy Reid like he admires the fact that they're the Chiefs are always in attack mode and I think that's something that he wants to always be in as well but I think he's also cognizant and aware of his own team's shortcomings or weaknesses or just what the matchup dictates and we're we're definitely going to talk more about this with the Chiefs but I, I think in the times that you've seen this team kind of pound the rock and try to run over defenses is because of certain factors that the Bengals can't really handle, you know, airing and out against some defenses because of their limitations. And again, we're going to talk more about this with the chiefs, but I think that's ultimately what, what the balance or just the dichotomy of the offense has been about. It's really just matchup bases, not really anything to do with like philosophy, I would say. Well, we were debating talking about this next point brought up by the other super chat we've received thank you jocko johnson what do you guys think of bart scott calling for head and neck shots on burrow on espn's get up that was on thursday said baltimore runs a red dot program and a d will hold his arms to make his head slam the ground yeah there was all kinds of not goodies i guess baddies in that uh in that segment there this was the other talking point aside from Wink Martindale, maybe some stuff from Harbaugh after the game, but this was the the talking point that has just really carried throughout the week. A lot of bitter and salty Ravens fans. And I get why, you know, the Bengals are on the rise and maybe you felt that they were kind of rubbing salt in the, in the wound a little bit this week because of the record setter, whatever, but it's just kept carrying. And now you've got, and this is the difference between Ryan Clark and Bart Scott, Ryan Clark, when the Bengals were beaten up on the Steelers earlier this week, Ryan Clark, a very proud former Steeler, he took the Steelers to task. He was not critical of the Bengals and he was actually kind of complimentary of the Bengals, et cetera. And Bart Scott kind of took this really old school, I don't even know what kind of approach you want to call this, dirty 
uh, dirty approach. And yeah, I mean, what Jocko says here, essentially that um, calling for that, he's going to, he's going to be hunted down by the Baltimore defense. They're going to remember this and they're going to make his life miserable. They're going to get Zach Taylor's, uh, you know, ass fired essentially in, in a couple of years. I mean, that's, that's, these are all the things that he was saying on, on live TV and some of the other co-hosts were kind of nervously laughing it off. And, you know, oddly enough, one of my initial feelings with it, John, is could you imagine if a guy, if they gave Vontez perfect, a very kind of similar career trajectory, <laughs> a little bit, not as many dirty plays in Bart Scott's career, but former pro bowler, was on a good defense and was a, an enigmatic kind of polarizing character. If he, if he came on there and was talking about a quarterback being hurt because getting hurt by his former team, because said quarterback torched his former team. That was kind of like my first thought. I'm going, man, he would get skewered. And so I, I don't know, man, I, I saw this and I just kind of felt like I understand a little bit of shock value. This really, I, I don't know. I, it rubbed me the wrong way. I'm sure it rubbed a lot of Bengals fans the wrong way as well. ESPN is batting a thousand this week, not only from Bart Scott, but they had uh, they had like a segment with Dan Orlovsky, who like ranked his top five quarterback Had Burrow in there that caused an uproar amongst non Bengals fans. The next day, they had Mina Kimes up there to praise Justin Herbert in comparison to Burrow, like back to back days. Right. It creates a creates a dialogue and stuff like this. Who amongst the ESPN personalities would ESPN want more than Bart Scott to talk about the Ravens getting obliterated by the Bengals? Like, I don't I don't know the quality of analysts that Bart Scott is. I don't really watch ESPN that much, but you had to know ESPN had to know that Bart Scott had some things to say about this game and stuff like that. And I don't know if they expected him to take it to that level, but it was damn good programming on, on their end and it got everyone here talking. And someone asked us, like, why, why, why are we hesitant to talk about this? Because it's talking about what someone is saying. and It's not giving him the attention he's like craving. That. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So. So. Yeah, sure, we have to talk about it because it's news and stuff like that. But I don't think either of us are really comfortable with this. It, it was it was weird. It was it was weird, but it was good programming by ESPN. They definitely knew what they were doing, or at least they had an intention of creating some controversy and stuff like this. It this is what rivalries are, unfortunately. And contrary to what Bart Scott wants to believe, the Bengals and Ravens are much more even in, in a sense of head-to-head matchups than the Bengals and the, St- and the Ravens and Steelers. Excuse me. And he cited the Steelers being the Ravens' rival. They're rivals in the sense in the sense of playoff success and postseason and Super Bowl wins and stuff like that, at least in this modern era. But on the field, I think the Ravens' overall record after they were the Cleveland Browns was is 27 and 25 against the Bengals. They have a losing record to the Steelers. Like it's much more even with with these teams. And Bart Scott has a seven seven record against the Bengals all time. It's not like 14 and 14 under Harbaugh against the Bengals. Exactly. It, it's not like this has been a one-sided affair. It became that for the past couple of years because of Lamar Jackson when the Bengals were really down and their roster was terrible. Now the now the power dynamic is getting shifted. Now the Bengals are getting more evenly matched, and they could be the only team out of this division to make the playoffs in a year where it could have been three. Where in the preseason right. it was projected that three were going to make it, and right. the Bengals weren't a part of that three. It, it's it's what rivalries are. There's a lot of nonsensical animosity. It's just that Bart Scott at this point seems more like a Ravens fan than an ESPN analyst. It it yeah, and he, to my understanding, is now uh, doing some work on the Jets radio side of things, and he is no he has no shortage of hot takes on that uh, coverage that he provides for that team as well. I'm sure, that's another fun team to cover this year too. But uh, that you look, I mean, 
the Ravens and the Steelers always pride themselves on, you know, solid defense, being a bully, being physical, all that kind of stuff. And the bully never likes to be pushed back. Never really likes to to get get the the stuff that they give out back at them, and uh, I think you're just kind of and I think to your point a little bit, John, that this came a, a lot sooner than a lot of people felt that it could with the Bengals in terms of Burrow, the the maturity there as well as the maturity with the with the wide receivers. It just came a lot faster. So, um, at any rate, it's some kind of some jarring comments and uh, you know any kind of questionable hit going forward from the the Ravens on Burrow, that's going to be pointed directly back to that comment by Bart Scott. Anything else on this game that you want to add before we move on to some stats of the week in the like, John? I think just shout out to all three receivers to get back on a more positive note. We talked about Chase. We talked about Higgins' matchup, but T. Higgins, man, a little bit of a down performance against the Broncos, but I think this is his fourth 100-yard game in five weeks. He's now across the 1,000-yard threshold. I think he did that right after the second half began, and now you're in a conversation where you could have three 1,000-yard receivers, a 1,000-yard rusher, and a 4,000-yard passer, and they did most of this, if not all of this, before that 17th game, so the validity of that is going to stick despite some naysayers at the end of the season who may say otherwise, but Again, it was a great matchup for all three receivers, and all three had fantastic moments. You had T. Higgins' verticality being on display, and you had Jamar Chase's yards after catch being on display. It's the, kind of the opposite of what the expectations were coming into this season. So if if these two guys, again, the matchup is the matchup, and the important games like it was this, this time, if they can have interchangeable skill sets and abilities that they can just go on and off with each other, and it's not just like they're one-dimensional players like that, It'll do wonders for the offense. And I really do feel like this is just the beginning of both of these guys dominating in tandem against the 49ers. They, they both kind of popped off. Chase had two touchdowns. Higgins was over 100 yards. You're now seeing that growth and that chemistry just building and building. And the Bengals offense is just forming into what it should be. Again, the results, the stats. Yes, they're a little bit exaggerated against the Ravens, but you're seeing the potential being fulfilled in games like this. And it's only going to be good going forward. Well, this is a good little segue before we move on to stat of the week. Well, it's a good it's a good bridge uh, topic here from Rowdy Every Lap, who gives us a super chat. Thank you, Rowdy. Yes or no? Does Tyler Boyd get that two hundred eight yards over the last two games to reach a thousand? As of now, I'm inclined to say no, just short. I think he will get it if they sense that he's close. I think they'll start feeding him the ball a little bit. If anything, last week was an indicator when they knew Burrow was pretty close to the the franchise record there. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I think he just comes up just short, even with the extra game. Uh, but he's, he, you know, needs two really, you know, pretty, pretty outstanding games in order to get it. It's possible, but, and it would be a really cool feat to have the three guys get the, the uh, each get a thousand yards. But I think he may come up just short, just personally speaking, John, I'm going to say he does um, because I'm looking at the defenses that he's going to face. I don't think the Browns necessarily have a great slot cornerback. Um, they have two really good boundary ones. I think um, the, the slot cornerback is escaping me at the moment. But I know that the Chiefs, like their, their weakness in the secondary, if there is one, it is that slot. So if the matchup's dictated, I think Boy could see like maybe 15, 20 targets in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, if, if one of them ends up being as, as big as the one against the Broncos or the Ravens, I think I think he does get to a thousand. I'm going to say yes. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the super chat there, Rowdy, and we'll keep monitoring those despite the 
additional topics we've got coming up here. And before we get to our stat of the week, as we usually do, we want to talk about our partnership with Symbol. S-I-M-B-U-L-L is the website and the URL. S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot com slash OBI. We have been partnering for with them for the 2021 season, and it's been a great partnership. Some folks that are listeners of our program have been able to get in there at the early levels or early stages of this partnership and make some money on the Cincinnati Bengals based on what uh, that team was priced at per share. But Symbol is like the stock market for sports, and that is what their platform is. You can go in there and make yourself some money on either long-term investments, short-term plays, what have you. And John, you can do that especially with the generous promo that they have for our listeners. Absolutely, man. If you guys don't already know by now, Symbol is the stock market for sports, and they have a great offer for OBI listeners and Bengals fans alike. If you deposit up to $500 in your first initial deposit deposit using the promo code OBI, all 500 of the initial deposit becomes risk-free, guaranteed, for the first three months of you using the symbol market. So symbol.app backslash forward slash OBI promo code OBI up to a $500 risk-free deposit for the first three months. You can put that into what everyone in the symbol market, whether it be the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, power five college football symbol has you covered for all the major sports for all your favorite teams, all the teams that you feel knowledgeable about. And that's really what it is. Leveraging your knowledge of sports to make some cash in the long run. The, the just looking at the timeline since we're at the end of 2021 with the Bengals in this in this year the Bengals on January 1st of this year the, their price was at $17.25 now December 30th when we're recording this $52.60 so if you would have invested in the Sim Bengals on January 1st of this season and you held on to that investment you would have seen an in- incredible increase in profits and that's really what this is about it's Every team has a stock price attached to it. And if you think a team is going to improve in the long run, which is really why the symbol market was created in the first place, you should leverage that knowledge. What better way to get started than with a $500 risk-free initial deposit for the first three months, symbol.app forward slash OBI promo code OBI. I like the forward slash backslash. You did you did both at the beginning there. I, I like Whatever you prefer. Like yeah, exactly. Whatever your preference. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It says, all right, stat of the week time. John, you've got some 
golden nuggets for us as it goes with the Bengals franchise quarterback. Lay it on us, my friend. Yeah, this is courtesy of Seth Galina, who has been following the good Joe Burrow since his days at LSU. Seth is at Pro Football Focus. He does college football work for them at PFF underscore Seth. So he's been following Burrow for a long time. So he would be knowledgeable about this specific stat. We've seen in recent weeks the true return of Joe Burrow. Now, Joe Burrow has been a solid NFL quarterback for his entire 25-game career at this point, but we haven't really seen the magic from the LSU days up until recently, probably after the bye week is when we really started to see Burrow a lot more comfortable in the pocket and then the ability to extend plays, scramble out of the pocket, keep his eyes downfield and making plays with his feet, with, with his eyes, with his vision and stuff like that. So Seth ran the numbers and calculated his passer rating, or at least found out his passer rating on scramble plays from his days at LSU, his 2019 season, um, from his rookie season to week seven of this season, and from week eight on to now. In 2019 at LSU, his passer rating on scramble plays was 116.9. From the beginning of his rookie season to week seven of this year, his pass rating was 39.7, which is basically, I think they say it's just throw into the dirt and that's your pass rating. From week eight on to now, his pass rating has jumped up to 115.8. Mm. That is huge. Like that, that if you are if you are watching Joe Burrow and you believe that he's playing more like his LSU stuff, his LSU self, excuse me, that that is what it, it, it's that personified essentially. You're seeing not only the decision-making and the, the pocket ability of Burrow come to life because that's kind of always been there since his, since he arrived at, at Cincinnati. But you're seeing the extending the, of the plays. You're seeing the plays being made on the run, out of the pocket. It, it, is, is it a comfort level? Sure, him coming back from that knee injury as well. But I also think that just in general, just having more experience in the NFL, being more confident, going up against coverages that he may not have seen in his rookie season, that confidence is there. And there's still a little bit of hesitation, I think, from Zach Taylor's uh, point of view, where you don't want him to make a lot of these plays at the risk of him getting hurt. But what he's doing right now and just extending some of these plays that are either broken or maybe could have been dead if it was last year or something like that, or maybe earlier this season when he wasn't fully trusting his knee, that component added to this offense, especially when on days when the offensive line is kind of struggling a little bit and you're dealing with ferocious pass rushers, for that to be added into this offense with the receiving talent, it's dangerous, especially going into the playoffs. So you really are seeing the return of some of those of some of those magical Joe Burrow plays that he made at LSU. And the numbers right now are backing that up. We pinned the article up here on the video and it is on PFF. You got to have an account. It is a premium story there, but John giving you some of the juicy bites out of the, the meat of the article, if you will, and some good stuff there. And John, when you, when you talk about early season scramble plays and Joe Burrow, how he performed on those, as opposed to, mid late season scramble plays and how Joe Burrow has been performing on those. You know, you look back, he's even had a couple called back recently because of penalty. You look back at the Denver game, that would have been a big play to chase. That was called back because of a, a penalty. I think on Quentin Spain, that was a phantom hold or a semi phantom hold, I guess, depending on how you looked at that one. There are a couple little plays like that where you go, wow, he could have even had more than that. And then you compare that to some plays. Like if you go back to the green Bay game, right coming out of halftime and he's trying to make he he made the one outstanding play that chase 
uh, grabbed on that one. But then coming out of that, he he kind of instead of throwing the ball away or whatever, he tried to force one down the sideline. It came up short and was intercepted. Those plays are happening with a lot less frequency now. Um, they're, they're turning into more positives than than the the negatives we saw earlier. Exactly, and again, it, it could just be the growth of the offense in general. It could just be just Burrow be more comfortable and stuff like that. But it's reps, and they matter. And I think we were all impressed, at least from you know Burrow's tape and his ability as a rookie, especially just as a rookie, even though we all had high expectations out of him coming out of LSU, but to see this kind of return, especially after that knee injury, I know it took a while and, you know, kind of meant that like, maybe he wasn't really telling the full truth when he said, I'm full go. I'm hundred percent when the season began. And he's been honest about that. He even said like in, in some of the plays where he's been running more, like I wouldn't have been able to do that earlier in the season. So he's got full use of his legs now. And I think he's full trust that he can make some of these plays that he used to. And, we really are seeing the LSU version of Joe Burrow. I really, I, I said this um, after one of the plays that he made on Sunday. It's no longer LSU Burrow. It's Cincinnati Burrow at this point. Like th- that transition, that transformation is complete. You are seeing the Heisman quarterback officially arrive in Cincinnati at this point. Yeah, and it makes makes sense with his uh, one of, if not his favorite target at LSU, joining him here with the Bengals and Jamar Chase and making a lot of plays there on. Some of which on those broken plays. So uh, good, good stat there, John. And uh, you can go check out Seth Galina's stuff on Pro Football Focus. Um, I, I want to uh, before we kind of get into the preview for the Chiefs here. Um, some other news came across the wire, and it's kind of some stat of the week slash just Bengals news came across the wire late Thursday, and that is Willie Anderson. Um, getting the nod by Pro Football Hall of Fame voters, rightfully so, to be in the list of 15 finalists, of which I think about five will be voted in on uh, a, a little bit later. But Willie Anderson has made the short list. Whether or not he makes it this time, which he has a very good case f- for doing so, and we'll talk about that in a second, John. But um, this is a good sign in general, it, it, whether he makes it this year uh, the fact that he got to the finalist portion, that means he's probably going to continue, you know, he's going to be in that conversation to get in year after year now, and rightfully so. So congratulations to Willie Anderson on becoming a Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist. And that was the talking point last last year when he was a semifinalist. Like, this is progress towards him eventually becoming a finalist and then eventually getting in. So he is officially, he's taken that next step. And it's been, I think, about, something like 10 years of eligibility has, has come to this. I didn't even realize this was the first time a Bengal has been a finalist since 1998. Hmm. And I believe that was Ken Anderson. And um, I think Munoz was inducted probably around then or maybe right before then as well. So it's been a long time coming and the Bengals have been relevant since then, but there's been Ken Anderson. There's been Ken Riley who's been snubs. And now you're having Willie Anderson who's still, I mean, he's not at, at the age of, of Anderson yet or uh, of Ken Anderson yet. So he's still you know, kind of young. He's still in that modern category. So this is huge for him. And even if he doesn't get in this year and there's plenty of other guys who are well-deserving who have made these finalists too. You kind of said it though, that this bodes well for him in the, in the near future of eventually getting in, but a fantastic accomplishment for him. And I think he shared his reaction on Twitter too. So that's awesome to see. Yeah, very emotional. Uh, Willie Anderson on Twitter there sharing some of his 
uh, thoughts that he could collect. He was very emotional, said he couldn't even watch TV or anything like that today. So go check out his uh, kind of thank you video or uh, just very, you know, kind of very pleased there. But here is, I, I put the link in a couple of the live chats. Here is an article that John wrote up. We did, uh, when we wrote some stuff on Cincy Jungle about the Ring of Honor, we did, uh, we named a number of different players that would be deserving or should be deserving of the Ring of Honor. Willie Anderson did not make it in the, in the first, um, the first class here, but I would assume he would make the very next one that they bring in here. But you've got some of the things that folks know, four-time Pro Bowl or three-time All-Pro, both of those should have been much higher than that. Uh, unfortunately was a victim of teams he played on throughout the mid and late nineties and early two thousands just got overlooked. And of course, being a right tackle, the ones John that you put here that I think, uh, you know, may not be known on the surface is allowed one sack against nine of the top 11 all time sack leaders in NFL history. Just one didn't allow a sack in three seasons from 99 to 2001. That's not even in the heyday of the Marvin Lewis teams that had really good offensive lines to help him out. Just 13 career holding penalties, 173 career starts, which is good for fourth in franchise history, 117 straight games from 99 to 2007, and of course spent 2008 on the Ravens and had a pretty good year there at the end of his career, whether you look at pro football focus metrics or what have you, um, pretty good year there. So, you know, those are some of the, the notches in his belt. The Bengals, you know, for some of the failures they've had in draft classes, some of the failures they've had at high picks. Uh, just overall seasons and lack of championships, et cetera. They do know how to draft tackles for the most part because they've had a handful of really good ones, including the best ever in Anthony Munoz. Then you've got Willie Anderson, one of the best right tackles uh, of his era and really ever. And then, of course, guy still doing it over in L.A., Andrew Whitworth. The one thing that has kept Anderson out for so long, aside from just the Bengals not winning a lot, has been the fact that he's been a right tackle. And I think that should honestly be like the thing that gets him in because, yeah, he's a right tackle, but he's the best right tackle in this era of football. I think Joe Burrow, or Joe Burrow, Joe Goodberry researched this a, a while back when, when talking about the Ring of Honor. Like he's the only right tackle in, in history to have like consecutive all pro nominations. And he did this again. And when the Bengals were just still coming up, like, that was really late in his career when he had so many great seasons before then that logically that speaks to me, but of course it hasn't spoken to voters in a long time. I don't know why this year they decided to, to make him a finalist. I, it it makes sense, but I mean, just wow. I I don't know, man. It it just, I'm I'm pulling for him. I'm hoping for him, but it's it's weird how like it's now, and I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that the Ring of Honor exists now. Obviously, you would assume that him being a finalist would make him a favorite to be in the next class of Ring of Honor. But it's interesting to me, like the timing of this. The voters made made him a finalist now. I don't know how far he gets, but I mean, he's obviously deserving. So there are a couple of things you can point to as you know potential catalysts to him getting finally des- the deserved recognition to get this nomination and, and be on the finalist list for the Hall of Fame class. It's not just his resume that Bengals fans have been pounding the table about for years saying, you know, this is a guy that just was overlooked because of the team he played for and and some of the really, really 
for lack of better words, piss poor teams that, uh, you know, he was on and really was kind of the guy that, you know, I mean, it was like him and Corey Dillon for a while. Right. And Takeo spikes to, you know, to another extent that was kind of the guys that you would pay attention to when you watch the Bengals. And that was about it. Uh, And then Marvin Lewis came along and thankfully some of these guys got more recognition. Now here, the other, the other things, um, you know, you can credit Bengal Jim who did the the jungle to the hall the, the, to bring specific recognition to guys like Willie Anderson. I think Willie Anderson was there in person uh, at this at the rally that Jim coordinated there. So you can you can do that. You can credit that. And rightfully so. And then you can also credit the ring of honor. And of course, the Bengals having a, a good season, a winning season this year. And, and there being a little bit of excitement, and a little bit more notoriety around that team. So. Uh, you know, it, it, all in all, it's it's good for Willie, good for the Bengals. Um, real quick, I want to share this. This is on NFL.com. These are all of the finalists. And I share this not only because, you know, they're all deserving as well, but this is also going to tell you um, about who Willie Anderson is going up against uh, in this class. And depending on your, on your thoughts, John, I mean, there is a shot that he makes the initial class um, – some really good defensive players in this class, J- Jared Allen. You got Willie Rondé Barber. Uh, so this may become yet again another popularity contest. Tony Baselli, I'm a fan of him, his. He was a USC guy, was dominant for a handful of years, but unfortunately kind of the Terrell Davis thing, right? Um, injured, injured, injured. <laughs> so uh, Baselli, and he was, he was the left tackle guy. So that's going to be a, an interesting standard to go up against. Leroy Butler was a very good player for the Green Bay Packers. Devin Hester, you know, primarily a special teams guy. How does he, you know, fare in this whole thing? Torrey Holt, a very deserving player. Andre Johnson, a very deserving player. Sam Mills, pillar of consistency. Richard Seymour, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, Bryant Young. So then now, not only is he fighting a little bit of popularity contest in terms of teams that some of these guys played on, and of course their own great accomplishments john but also uh you know you see these guys a lot of them patrick willis done in 2014 reggie wayne 2014 demarcus ware 2013 you're getting a lot of recency bias a little bit with some of these guys so i don't know how that's going to play into it i was curious about this um before we took the air how many of these guys won a super bowl i believe it was ronde barber that's one Mm -hmm. uh leroy butler one uh tory holt one one that's three Richard Seymour run one a few. That's four. Demarcus Ware won in his last year with the Broncos. And Reggie won. Hester, so I think Hester played in the Super Bowl. The, the Bears lost win. that. Yeah. yeah. So that's at least six guys who have who have a ring on their resume. So six out of the fifteen, it's not a lot, but you have to assume a handful of those guys have better shots than most of these guys. I think Jared Allen, amongst the non Super Bowl guys, definitely deserving to to yeah. get in along with Willie Anderson. Demarcus Ware is arguably, in my opinion, the best player. On this entire list, he next was. to, yeah, ne- next to Allen and, and Willie, Rondé Barber can be up there as well. I think he's been a finalist for a couple of years now. So yeah, I mean, there's, there, I don't see a, like a quarter. I don't, I don't see a quarterback. I don't see a running back. If I'm correctly, if I'm, if I'm correct, no, as a correct good wide so, receivers though. Great wide receivers. But wide receivers yeah. are usually log jam and stuff like that. Uh, I think this mm-hmm. is Andre Johnson's first year being eligible along with Patrick Willis. So maybe one of those guys gets in. I think he has a decent shot, you know, mm-hmm. d- d- despite the, the the bias against Cincinnati. And, but it's interesting, uh, too, just real quick. I think Pete Prisco said this, and he's usually um, a pro Tony Baselli and stuff like that. So he's kind of a Jacksonville guy. 
but he <laughs> I think he commented like I can't believe the Hall of Fame snubbed Fred Taylor once again like this guy's done so many things and there was a bunch of people like mad about it and like my first thought was so this is what it's like from the other side when you have a guy <laughs> who's in and gets the recognition and there's yeah, other there and there's other people from other teams who are yeah. complaining about their guys. So that that's going that's going to happen now. Like Willie Anderson yeah. could get in and there's going to be fans who are mad that their guy didn't get in and that's just the reality of it. Even when Willie Anderson didn't get in, there was never really a, a guy who wasn't really deserving cuz all these guys are deserving and that's just the that's just the nature of it. You're going to get those reactions and Bengals fans have had plenty of those reactions over the years. And every time you bring up a Fred Taylor and Eddie George, who, oh, by the way, Eddie George was on the semifinal list, uh, you, you go back to that old AFC Central slash the, the beginning of the AFC North, and you look at some of the running backs in that division, man. It was Bettis, it was Dylan, it was Fred Taylor, it was Eddie George. It was just like, wow. Uh, and, and, I mean, if the Bengals had a team around Dylan in a lot of those seasons, aside from Willie Anderson and Takeo Spikes, I mean, they would have they would have fielded quite a few more competitive teams but uh, i mean that those those backs were the i mean really the standard for for a lot of years uh in that division and it made the division a really really tough go of things but congratulations to willie anderson on making the finalist list uh, uh for the pro football hall of fame incredibly well deserved a great guy um and you know just just really happy for him i know it means a lot to him and it would be awesome if he gets in and then gets the ring of honor uh nomination or you know nomination in the next 2022 the year will yeah be. let's do it that's right that's right okay so we're gonna be here just a little bit longer and it is time to transition to some talk about the chiefs the Bengals, as we have teased a couple of times have a gigantic a gigantic uh game ahead here with the chiefs coming to town the Chiefs, John, were a team, and, and we'll get to the injury report and a couple of other little uh, roster tidbit pieces of news here, but the Chiefs have been a really interesting team this year. Uh, they started off pretty poor, actually, uh, and there were a lot of questions in terms of their viability. You know, Mahomes was struggling, at least by Mahomes' standard, uh, all that kind of stuff, and now here they are. they got the best record in the AFC. They've got the top seed in the AFC and they are in the driver's seat in the conference as the playoff bracket nears. Um, just kind of, I mean, I, I've I seen I have seen a couple of games, the Chiefs games, and watched them closely, particularly of late. There's a primetime game on the other night. Uh, I forget who they were playing, but there were some uncharacteristic drops from Kelsey and, <laughs> excuse me, Tyreek Hill, etc. Um, and it just didn't look quite as crisp. As I, as I as the Chiefs normally did, but they are now clicking on all cylinders and that defense has caught up. I think that's the key. The defense has caught up a bit to the offensive performance, really kind of creating a balanced team. Back in like October, the Chiefs were like three and four, and that was attributed to a couple of things. One, the defense was playing at an all-time awful rate. Like it was like I don't think a team has ever made the playoffs with with a defense that bad. And if that was going to continue. The, the playoffs seem laughable, honestly, just, just looking at it. And the offense wasn't bad on like yards per play um, perspective, but there were just a lot of turnovers and they were almost like a, they were just allergic to sustained drives and just a lot of mistakes on either Mahomes's part or the receiver's part. And that was just consistent for like six, seven, eight weeks or something like that. And in this eight game winning streak, I believe at least five of them have been at Arrowhead, maybe even six. They've played a lot of games at home. And I think you can attribute a little bit of 
the defense finding its footing to that. I think just playing an arrowhead, that home field advantage, even when the Chiefs were struggling, like that's always going to be a factor. And I think the defense has really kind of uh, been benefited from that, just being in that atmosphere. And in the two games they played on the road, I believe one was the Chargers on like a Thursday night. And they gave up a lot of points and that it came down to the wire. And I believe another game on the road, I think it was like the Raiders and they gave up like 14 points. So defense hasn't been completely consistent and they like their worst game was on the road. So if you're looking for an advantage from the Bengals side, probably home field would be that it's much harder to go into Arrowhead and to, and to at least keep pace with that offense. If you're going to play them, you might as well play them on the road, but just that defense has turned around. It's crazy to me. Like Spagnola, Steve Spagnola is a great coordinator and whatnot, but like those guys, like they, they couldn't cover anybody and they, they couldn't stop anybody worth a damn. And for whatever reason, they've gotten their cornerbacks to play really well. Juan, uh, Juan Thornhill and Tyron Matthew is a great safety duo. This Daniel Sorensen keeps finding interceptions. I don't know how he's hauling all these guys in, but it, it, it's been such a turnaround. And they have good pass rushers too up front, which kind of kind of leads to what the Bengals are going to do offensively to counter this. We'll talk about potential game plans, what they will and or should be. Um, let's before we do kind of catch up on some things. This is on CincyJungle.com from the fearless leader, Jason Markham there um, noting. And here is, I'll pin this in the live chats for folks, but Bengals activate DJ reader and Wyatt Ray. DJ reader was a last minute uh, COVID edition before last week's game. And that was a, a little concerning, but he has made his return um, as has Wyatt Ray. Uh, they've been on since Christmas there. Um, and then the Bengals also signed free agent snapper Col- uh, Colin Holba to the practice squad. Interesting addition there. Really the big news here, though, John, is Reader being back in a pivotal game in the AFC. For sure. And, you know, we can talk about how much he was missed against Baltimore. They didn't really get a lot of pressure from the interior in that in that one. But, you know, the Chiefs can still run the ball, too. And having reader back, I think benefits the rotation more than anything. I think you had BJ Hill starting playing significant snaps next to Larry and Joby. If you get those guys on a, on a more healthier rotation, because they're going to need all the bodies they can get the pressure Mahomes. I think that is the biggest difference. Like DJ readers, fine, decent pass rusher, but I don't know how much he's doing in terms of just pressuring the pocket himself. Yep. Keep the blueprint that you have. That's, that's the big deal there. So DJ reader and Wyatt Ray off COVID list and Colin Holba, to the practice squad, a long snapper. Now, in addition to that, John, here is the injury report. Some really, really interesting news the past couple of days in terms of the Bengals getting some guys back. And we'll pin this in the live chat as well. But Logan Wilson coming back uh, the practice the last two days. You've got Khalid Kareem coming back as well, who left the game against the Broncos after that tide-turning turnover. That was quite the alliteration there. Uh, that he left the game. You can see the picture of the cart there. And this is from you, uh, my my compadre here on the show. Uh, we'll pin this in here. But uh, talk a little bit about, if you would, since you did the honors on Cincy Jungle, um, writing this up, talk a little bit about what's been going on this week. Not much has changed from Wednesday to Thursday. The Bengals injury report looks the exact same and probably will look the exact same for Friday as well. You have camp sample, with a hamstring and and Jalen Davis with a bad ankle. They have not practiced this week. Sample's injury is weird because he was on the opening kickoff of the Baltimore game and he didn't play at all for the rest of the game. And he was declared out like immediately 
with a hamstring injury. So no surprise to see him not practice. Uh, Joe Burrow continues to be listed on the practice report for some reason with the, with the pinky, but he's practicing. And you have concu- and you have Khalid Kareem fully out of the concussion protocol. And the Logan Wilson thing, man, it's it's weird because you know the Bengals bet on him returning for the Baltimore game. That's why they didn't place him on injured reserve. That would have been his third game that he missed, and he did miss that game. And then Taylor was doubtful. Zach Taylor was doubtful that he was going to play in this game at all. And then they for on Wednesday something changed, and he was not only out there for practice, but he was fully practicing. He wasn't even like limited in his first practice back. So. 24 days after suffering that injury, he's back in the rotation and couldn't come at a better time with Jermaine Pratt dealing with uh, COVID right now. And the whole thing with that is he, his sample was collected on Wednesday and he tested. So that's when the team listed him as positive. And with the new protocol, um, regardless of your vaccination status, regardless if you're still positive for COVID at all, you have to sit out five days unless you test negative twice after like a 24-hour period or something like that. So the only way for Jermaine Pratt to play next to Presumably playing next to Logan Wilson this game is to be test negative twice leading up to Sunday, and who knows what that is up in the air. Brad had a couple of really nice weeks and then maybe has uh, struggled a little bit in some packages over the last couple of weeks as well since Logan Wilson has been out. By the way, that finger seems to really be bothering Joe Burrow, doesn't it? Jeez Louise. Um, <laughs> here's here's the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs here, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did not practice either day. Mike Hughes, a defensive back, um, did not practice Wednesday, returned for a full practice on Thursday. You've got Willie Gay, the linebacker. That was a guy that I know we talked about in pre-draft stuff a little while ago with the Bengals. Um, He had a hip issue, but full practice. Um, Full practice for Ben Neiman, full practice for Derek Noddy. Uh, Jerron Reed, the big uh, defensive tackle, has a foot injury, full practice there. Tyron Matthew, full practice as well. Um, Tooney had an illness, uh, did not suit up Wednesday and looks like he did not practice again Thursday. So, um, unless you've got anything to add there, not, I don't know that there were too many surprises here with the chiefs. Yeah. Edwards, Elaire is listed as like week to week with that shoulder. So it wasn't likely he was going to play at all. Joe Tooney, you know, we talked about him a few times during the off season. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, he's been playing really well to no surprise mm-hmm. at all and I, th- I believe he i believe he practiced wednesday and then he was first listed on the injury report thursday yeah, and yeah. you know th- i mean we've seen this from the Bengals; they've had a couple guys deal with some illnesses and that typically means um especially if you you know um are listed this late in the week doesn't it's probably 50 50 at this point if he's actually going to play if he doesn't practice friday he's going to be listed questionable at best and he could be a game time decision but yeah, it's, it's not great if he's if he's listed here Thursday and didn't practice. So that's the injury report here with both these teams. Now, John, I guess that we're, we've got a few more minutes here um, running running up long here. First of all, I want to credit Rowdy every lap stat of the week. All 12 of T. Higgins' receptions were either a first down or a touchdown last week. Felt like um, that. Yeah, that's a, that's, a great, that's a great stat there. And to that point, what should the Bengals – offensive mindset be this week because there are a couple of schools of thought it's let's keep riding the the hot hand of burrow let's keep doing that and it makes a lot of sense you know when you look back to the 49ers game when you look back to this last week i mean it just makes a lot of sense to continue especially with t higgins playing some of his best football jamar chase getting back in the groove of things they've moved him around a little bit both 
from boundary and inside to slot and uh, Tyler Boyd making, making a, the occasional big play too. So there's a lot of sense with that, but there's also the sentiment of keep Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, keep those guys off the field, grind the clock, go old school and ride Joe Mixon. Where do you stand on this? It's really is the story of the game because just referring to the Bengals defense real quick, like you have to assume that with the, how the Chiefs are playing, regardless of how well the Bengals defense has been playing, you have to assume they're, they're going to get 30 points or something like that. You have to be coming into this game prepared to put up that that number. And if that was the plan this offseason, like just try to outscore everyone if you're not really sure how your defense is going to play. This isn't the Chiefs offense of earlier in the season. They're, they're rolling. They've scored 48, 34, and 36 in the last three weeks, all wins. And this is the debate here because we alluded to this earlier with a super chat. Zach Taylor, I think he is an aggressive play caller, but he just is cognizant of what his team is good at and what they aren't and where they stand in the matchup. The Chiefs defense is much better against the pass than they are against the run. I think they're like a below average run defense and they they've been really good in recent weeks of forcing turnovers in the passing game and just limiting the passing game in general outside of maybe a handful of weeks. The matchup dictates that the Bengals run the ball. But that's the thing. If you are expected to give up 30 points and the defense is trying to make you run the ball, you're kind of being stuck between a rock and a hard place. You're you're challenging that philosophy of just taking what the defense gives you and only going for what, what the matchup is best at. At this point, the defense is starting to be ravaged with injuries, facing a very good, facing a very good offense, facing a very good defense with two pass rushers. They like at this point, it's either Burrow or nothing. I don't know if you can go into this game expecting to hand the ball off to Joe Mixon 25 times and expect to keep pace. Even if that is what the matchup says you should do, at this point, it has to be Burrow. I know that's that it may make them uncomfortable with how good the Chiefs are defending the pass, but they don't win otherwise. I I agree with you. And, um, you know, you know, we can talk about Mixon and the run game and all of that, but... Those guys also chip in in the pass game as receivers. I mean, Mixon was the guy who who caught the big ball for the, you know, for the record setter for for Burrow. So, I mean, I I I think you keep doing that in terms of riding the hot hand with Burrow. That's that's kind of what's got you in position to win the AFC North, especially of late. I, I I'm still a big proponent in offensive balance, being able to run the ball with some semblance of effectiveness, and I still think that that needs to take place as the year continues on and the postseason approaches, but um, you know, you've got a franchise quarterback playing, you know, the best football of the year and of his pro career right now. Uh, you don't want to pull the reins back too much. I don't think, um, you know, you also don't want to try and get too cute and try and make a statement again. You know, we could throw with, with Mahomes, and, you know, you know, it's not about that. It's about finding the right formula to win and, and making the proper, proper plays. And, uh, you know, I, I think the stat of the week that you pointed out earlier as well, John, that Burrow is making things happen on a lot of broken plays. And, and that was really evident last week, um, you know, getting out of pressure, evading pressure, scrambling around and, and making a play, um, as that continues to be part of his pro repertoire. And as he continues to do that at a high level, I, I think, I think, you know, you ride that comfort level that he's showing as the Bengals quarterback on offense. Yeah, and I think the the, the Chiefs may have some type of advantage here because 
I've said this before, like Mahomes and Burrow, they play the game in similar ways where I think even Akeem Adeniji said this in in a press conference, like the offensive mindset is just to block for as long as Burrow still has the ball and always to be aware when he's extending plays and, and to keep your eyes up and don't give up on plays. The Chiefs offensive line, like that, that's their philosophy too because that's how Mahomes plays. So I think the Chiefs defense comes into this game very much prepared for those types of Burrow magic extending plays because they see it all the time in practice and on the sidelines when the Chiefs play on Sundays. So that that's an advantage for the Chiefs defense. But at the same time, again, like there's Chris Jones out there. There's Melvin Ingram out there. It's it's not up or shut up for this offensive line at this point. And they're going to do everything in their power to limit those two guys. But those two guys can be game breakers, specifically Jones and along the interior. There's been a lot of ups and downs with the key energy. Speaking of him. At right guard, if if I'm Steve Spagnola, I'm I'm lining up Chris Jones across from him and taking on him, and even Quinn Spain, who's had some ups and downs here of late. At this point, like you you have to see what you have because uh, you know when you get into the playoffs, you're going to face good defenses too. And I don't know how much of that of those types of games against the Raiders and against the against the Broncos. I don't know how much of that is sustainable. It was nice that you could do that against those defenses because you're facing Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater. This is Pat Mahomes. This is you. You win this game. You win the division. You have a chance to be first place. You got to put it where you can score the most points, and that's with passing the ball, even if the matchup doesn't dictate that. So on the other side of the ball, the Bengals have some decisions to make there as well, especially depending on the situations with Pratt, with Wilson, etc. Do you try and get after Mahomes without blitzing, without extra pressure, without sending more more defenders, or? Do you just try and, you know, blitz him a lot and let let your corners who have played Eli Apple playing a lot better, Awuzie having a good year as well for the Bengals, do you let them kind of do their thing on their own with uh, limited help on the back end there? <laughs> it's funny because, like, early in the season, it, the whole narrative was like, just play cover two against the Chiefs. Mahomes doesn't know how to handle it, and that couldn't be – like further from the truth because that right, arm is just right. so, it's so it's so special man and he gets hit those honey hole throws with, with ease Mahomes is obviously better when he's clean and he's not as good when he's pressured but when blitzed and when not blitz it's not really that much of a difference I I, I don't know I, I don't know how defensive coordinators sleep at night when they're prepared to face this guy because it's not just Mahomes it's it's Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and when you know you can drop back eight guys in coverage and try to contain Mahomes but the, the longer you're asking your your secondary to run with these guys, the the, the better chance that they get on top of you. And Holmes can just fling it 80 yards with ease, and, and then Tyree Kills just throwing up the peace sign in the end zone. It's just like, it, I, I don't know what you do, honestly. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like there's this magical strategy that can limit this offense, because the only thing that limited them early in the season was their own mistakes. And that's what we've been talking about the Bengals offense, right? It's the Bengals beating themselves. The Chiefs were consistently beating themselves when the Bengals were the number one seed in the AFC. Now they're starting to figure things out. They're figuring things out again, just like they had been in 2018, 2019, and 2020. It's, it's Pat Mahomes. You can only hope that he doesn't drop 50 on you at this point. The key to this game, uh, as the Bengals are playing defense against Mahomes, is that interior of the defensive line and that potential Tooney absence. Um, you know, that... That's going to go a long way in deciding this one. DJ Reader being back, BJ Hill playing well and getting that rotation that they love to use in the interior and being able to generate pressure 
potential sacks from the interior of the of the defensive line is going to be huge. I mean, obviously you've got Hendrickson, you've got Hubbard, but if you're able to to get pressure from other spots, I think that's a big deal, especially without sending a ton of guys. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I just I think you got to lean on those interior defensive linemen who have been a major major part of the team's success this year. And then there's Trey Hendrickson too. I think that the matchup with Orlando Brown Jr. is interesting. Um, I was curious if, as to how Brown would fare out of the Ravens scheme, but he seems to be managing okay. In, in my mind, like it makes sense to to try to contain Mahomes so he doesn't escape uh, laterally and, and has more time. You probably want him to maybe step and run. In this game, the Bengals are going to be playing a lot of zone, and with that could, could come with some zone blitzes as well. But Larry Joby, I don't know if he played with the Browns in that divisional game against the Chiefs, but he has some experience going up against this defense. Maybe he can give them some pointers, and that would be him going up against potentially a backup left guard too so for i mean obviously more pressure is good you want Mahomes to get the ball out of his hand as quick as possible to try to keep things in front of you because the longer he holds the ball you know sometimes he'll run into sacks but for every sack that he takes there's like at least two first down throws right so what's your prediction on this one do you have a chad johnson-esque prediction a guarantee in this one john uh or what do you what do you feel as we begin to wrap things up here. You know, I actually watched some clips of that. The field at Paul Brown Stadium was just, it, it was as bad as what we like made fun of for Washington and Vegas and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. a lot of running in that game. Rudy Johnson, I think Corey Dillon had some carries as well. I don't think it's going to be that type of game and not some dirty 24-19 victory. It's the overs probably going to hit. It's just how much has this Bengals offense really grown at, at this point? The Chiefs defense is legit. They are playing like the clear Super Bowl favorites. Everything is clicking for them. And until the until the Bengals do it against a really good defense, there will be plenty of people that will continue to say that they're pretenders. But this is a statement type situation. It, it's not the playoffs yet. And if they win this game, they probably face the Chiefs again in the playoffs. And then they have the conversation. Can they beat them twice in a matter of a month? I don't know if that's possible until I see them do it until I see that offense against the Ravens against a defense that's playing lights out against two pass rushers that can wreck the game and to keep up with the best quarterback in the game. You know, the drill, man, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to go with a Bengals loss here. I'm going to say the chiefs score like 30. I'm going to say 35. I don't think their kicker is very good. So 35 to 24 chiefs. Well, when you pick them to lose, that's usually a good sign for for the Bengals on on this I, show. Like right? I said, you know the drill. <laughs> uh, I, I I think this is just a little too much to handle right now um, for the Bengals. Unfortunately, I think they can beat them. I think it needs to take a um, a, a near perfect game for the Bengals to to beat them. Whether that's this time around, maybe another time in the postseason, but. I think the Bengals lose this one, unfortunately. I think it's pretty close. I'll, I'll say it's a little closer than you gave them credit for. I'll say 34-30 Chiefs in this one. Just a just a difficult matchup and maybe a little too much for the Bengals to handle this week. Seeing a lot of Bengals win predictions in our live chats here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in live and for submitting questions. Thank you to those who submitted Super Chats as well. We appreciate that. We're going to get on out of here by dropping the mic. John, what do you have for us as we – Bounce on out of here for the the last time in 21. 
Yeah, last show of 2021. Big shout out to everyone who has followed. And just like last week, you know, been a great year for CJ. It's the first year that I've been covering this team when they've been winning. So that's been a lot of fun. So great seeing the site pop off and interest to keep up in times where it's usually uh, fallen off. My New Year's resolution for the show is to stop muting myself when drinking water. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the instances in this week. Water. Well. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Along with the Bengals, they'll be pulling for the Colts this week. Uh, Ryan Kelly, he's returning to the starting lineup against, I believe, the Raiders, and I don't even know who's going to be quarterback for them. But Ryan Kelly, he went to Lakota West High School, which is where I went to high school. He was graduated a few years before me, but one of my best friends, he went to school with him. He always spoke really highly of him. Um, he, he lost his, his daughter uh, last week. Uh, I believe they had like forced labor and unfortunately, his his daughter uh, passed away, hmm. so he missed last week's game. And so Kelly's returning to the field in a very important game for the Colts. I think he returned to practice today. So pulling for him, a Westchester, Ohio guy, a guy who has made his high school proud and went to Alabama, became a first round pick, became the highest paid center. Really unfortunate what happened to him and his wife. So pulling for the Colts this week. Very cool. Uh, I, I don't have too much other than congratulations again to Willie Anderson. We, we talked about that earlier in this show, making the finalist list on the Pro Football Hall of Fame nominees. And just a big thank you again to listeners of this show and readers of Cincy Jungle. It's been a banner year for both. And that has a lot to do with your support, the success of the team, everything. Uh, and it makes our job a lot more fun than talking through a 4-11-1 and season or a 2-14 and season or anything like that. This is a lot more fun. And we appreciate all the support that everybody everybody's shown this program and the website. So thank you. We're going to get on out of here. Happy New Year's, everybody. Be safe. Have fun. And we will talk to you on the postgame show. All kinds of different shows coming up in 2022. We'll bring you all kinds of different stuff, interviews, breakdowns, headlines, all kinds of stuff. Keep it to our show, the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, and of course, cincyjungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, everything on the Cincinnati Bengals. It's there for you. Take it easy.